Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our OITE, or Orthopedic Entraining Exam, review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and follow us on social media at Nailed It Ortho. That'll be Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and do some more basic science, everybody's favorite subject. Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a digital bank built for doctors by doctors. From medical student to attending, Panacea offers free checking and loan options just for physicians, including their PRN personal loan that gives you up to 75000 at an interest rate less than half of a credit card. Panacea Financial can also refinance your medical school debt with no maximums or help with commercial needs such as practice or surgery center buy-ins. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn how you can join the physicians nationwide who expect more from their bank. Panacea Financial is a division of the Primus member FDIC. And please, if you go, mention it, Nailed It Ortho in the How Did You Hear About Us section. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of Nailed Ortho Podcast. You are tuned into the to our OITE review series, and um, we're doing some more basic science. There's a lot of basic science. science. Yeah, sure. Um, sure there, yeah, there's a lot. Again, there's no way we're going to cover all the basic <laughs> science for those that are listening. Uh, you know, you definitely got to read some of this on your own, but we will try to cover some of these high points and, um, you know, hopefully you hear it through audio and then you read it and you hear it again. Hopefully some of this stuff sticks, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so well, I guess without further ado, let's, let's just hop right into it. Starting a little bit of uh, molecular biology, but um, what are some autoimmune antibodies seen in orthopedics and their function and kind of their associated condition? Uh, so some of the most common uh, antibodies that you're going to see in probably the question stems themselves rather than having you decide which antibody is associated with an autoimmune disorder. Um, but they'll say in the question stem, like a uh, 55-year-old male or female has ANA antibodies or antihistone antibodies, and that should just clue you into a diagnosis. And so uh, a few of them to know are ANA antibodies, um, which are antibodies to nuclear contents. And that's a really a screening tool for a lot of autoimmune disorders. So a lot of them will have elevated ANA, but then uh, more specific ones are like anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies, which is more specific for lupus. You have anti-histone antibodies. And um, for a little bit more in-depth about the uh, molecular biology of it. Histones are those proteins where the DNA spools around to help them compact down into uh, individual chromosomes. Uh, but the antihistone antibodies are for drug-induced lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and scleroderma. You have anti-topoisomerase or SCL70 antibodies, and the topoisomerase is what unwinds the DNA. But the anti-topoisomerase ones are for diffuse scleroderma, you have anti-JO1, uh, which is for polymyositis and dermatomyositis. And 
uh, Joe one antibodies are like the tRNA synthetase antibodies, uh, anti-Smith antibodies, which are transcription modification. Uh, they, the, the Smith um, protein is like a transcription modification of introns and exons. And so it's involved in the splicing process. So the anti-Smith antibodies are for lupus. And then uh, anti-UIRNP antibodies are for mixed con connective tissue disease. Um, and the UIRNP is a post-transcription post modification of the introns and exons. So it's also involved in uh, like the splicing and expression of genes. So I uh, rewind that a few times to, to listen to those. <laughs> but I think, the, yeah. I think the big ones to know are uh, ANA for just generalized autoimmune double-stranded DNA for lupus, uh, antihistone, uh, more for like a rheumatoid or scleroderma. And um, I've seen that the one that sticks out is like the anti-Joe is for polymyositis and dermatomyositis. Yeah. And so I talked a little bit about introns and exons and the whole splicing uh, aspect, but what's really the difference between an exon and an intron? Yeah, this is, this is like back to... Uh back to undergrad for me because I got a degree in biology. So this is all the fun stuff we had to study when we learned about DNA. Um, so back to, back to undergrad. So uh, exons are kind of the, those DNA regions that code for actual mRNA. So, um, you know, the things that actually get, you know, transcribed and translated versus introns. Those are going to be regions of the DNA that does not code for mRNA. So if you remember back way, way back when we have a lot more introns and exons, um, but, you know, there's a splicing process and these exons are the ones that are going to go and uh, code for mRNA. So again, uh, an exon is going to be the DNA region that codes for mRNA or messenger RNA. Now, what are some important proteins that regulate progression, you know, through the cell cycle? You know, we're talking about cells and chromosomes and different different things. But what are some uh, important proteins that regulate progression through the cell cycle? The big ones that we need to know are uh, like P53 and RB1. And uh, most of the time you'll hear about those being uh, at least in our profession being involved in uh, the development of certain sarcomas. So osteosarcoma should always uh, kind of come to the forefront when you're looking at uh, RB1 or P53. And RB1 is for is retinoblastoma protein. And so obviously you'll get retinoblastoma and osteosarcoma and then uh, P53 mutations. Uh, P53 is a uh, it prevents entry into the S phase. So when you have, um, and I could be uh, mixed up on this, but if it prevents entry to the S phase, so if you have a uh, kind of deregulation of that P53 gene, then you allow these cells to just progressively go through the S phase unchecked. So uh, you have a deactivating uh, mutation to P53. That's when you're going to get osteosarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, and chondrosarcoma. Um, but these are typically not passed down familially. They are um, more uh, kind of just inadvertent mutations that happen uh, in these kids. And then um, if we're going to use like cytogenetic analysis uh, to evaluate uh, either a subset of tissue or a blood sample or something like that, 
Um, what are some of the chromosomal translocations that are seen in orthopedic oncology that we should be aware of for uh, OITE in the boards? Yeah, and this is just the first time this is going to come up, but again, when we do our oncology section, all these are going to come back again. So we all know repetition is the father of learning, but so when you have a translocation between 11 and 22, that is going to be Ewing sarcoma. Uh, translocation between X and 18 is going to be synovial sarcoma. Translocation between 2 and 13 is rhabdomyosarcoma. Uh, translocation between 12 and 16 is going to be mixoid liposarcoma. And the translocation between 12 and 22 is going to be clear cell sarcoma. So yes, Ewing sarcoma and clear cell sarcoma are just one chromosome translocation different. Ewing's going to be 1122 and clear cell is going to be 1222. And again, synovial sarcoma is X18 and um, rhabdomyosarcoma is going to be 213. I have no good way to remember this besides just just wrote memorization and just looking at it a bunch of times um yeah i, I don't know any other way i don't Spencer, i don't know if you have anything but it's, for me it's just, just just keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it till you remember uh that's i mean that's really it <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> is it uh and i think that the the one that you can remember uh is uh patrick ewing uh, famous uh, New York Knicks uh, basketball player. I think his number is retired as 33. And so if you mm. add up 11 and 22, you get 33. And that's the, that's the one that I think you can kind of cheat and remember uh, by knowing Patrick Ewing and his retired number is 33. So you get 11 and 22. There we go. So, so moving forward, what's the difference between like, northern southern and western blotting like what different things do they detect uh yes yeah, so these were always the things there uh the night before the oite i had written down yeah. like the translocations that we just went over these sort of tests a few others but um uh so when they're uh and the and they may be answer choices i, I recall in several recent oites where um they will give you a clinical picture of uh, a condition, uh, usually a pediatric patient, and um, they'll talk about um, what sort of uh, study will help you determine the, they'll tell you the protein involved or the RNA involved or the DNA involved. And so Southern blotting detects DNA, Northern blotting detects RNA, and Western blotting detects protein. So again, Southern is DNA. Um, one way I remember that was uh, southern and D for down, so south and down. Uh, ah, down was, south. Yeah, uh, was uh, yeah. I guess now that I live down south in Georgia, yeah, here, yeah. Uh, that's one way to remember it. Northern blotting, I get it. It's a stretch, but north has an R, R for RNA, and then uh, western was just always the one that was different than the other two, and that was the protein. So. <laughs> Uh, there you go. That was that was the best way to remember those for me. And then um, these ones, they were always tricky, and I think they will always be tricky for myself and orthopedic residents for years to come. But what are some kind of just rote memorization autosomal <laughs> dominant conditions that we should be aware of? Yeah. So these are going to be things like syndactyly or polydactyly. Marfan syndrome, hereditary multiple exostosis, malignant hypothermia, 
uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, achondroplasia, and like osteogenesis imperfecta, at least type one and type four. And, you know, for these, at least what I've seen it, like they'll show you and you have the diagnosis and they'll ask you what the, uh, what the like mode of inheritance is. And you have to choose like autosomal dominant versus recessive and whatnot. And, uh, and humor me here, but I remember back in the day when I was reading and, and learning up on different tactics on how to remember things, one of the ways to remember them is to like in your head, like picture some extravagant story and um, and kind of use clues as to what means what, you know, that I don't know if you've heard of sketchy medical, but they used to have sketchy micro and they did a really good job of doing this and, and making like different visual clues on the on the information clues for different like antibiotics and different bugs. Oh, yeah. and everything. Uh, the guys who invented that were in my med school class. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Um, so hear me, I have a, a random story that I, I just made up again. It is it makes exactly no sense, um, but hopefully this is a way to try to remember, at least picture this in your head and think like, oh, OK, then this is this is the autosomal dominant disorders. Um, so a story to remember these is if you just picture like somebody like there's you've got two teams outside of an auto zone um, uh, playing basketball. So auto zone is supposed to be like autosomal dominant uh, basketball game. Uh, you got team one versus team two. Uh, team one is, is full of like super tall, lanky players. Uh, they got nine fingers on each of their hands and they have bright blue eyes. You know, those nine fingers and tall, they it gives them all an advantage. And so those tall, lanky players are supposed to clue you in towards like Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos. Um, the nine fingers on each hand is supposed to clue you in towards syndactyly and polydactyly. And the bright blue eyes is supposed to clue you in towards osteogenesis imperfecta just because, I mean, they have it, like that blue sclera. And oh, yeah. then so that's one team. And the other team is the complete opposite. There's short guys, the really short temper, uh, short temper who cheat. Um, short guys supposed to let you think of achondroplasia, uh, having a short temper supposed to have you think of malignant hypothermia. And then the last thing that I just really couldn't think of anything, but I put this here is if you look at the actual basketball rim, it's not round. It has a strange, strange shape with a bunch of different, like out, um, like little out pouchings and stuff. Um, and that's supposed to have you think of multiple hereditary exostoses, because if you look at those x-rays, they have like looks like there's a bunch of different tree branches i guess you could say so yeah, I, I buy that yeah so so to wrap it up if you think about the basketball game you think you got really tall lanky players uh nine fingers each hand blue eyes um you know that's gonna bring you they're playing a, again at this autosomal dominant basketball game that's gonna clue you in towards marfans ehlers danlos syndactyly polydactyly osteogenesis imperfecta they're playing this other team short guys with a short temper uh, who cheat, that's going to be achondroplasia, malignant hypothermia, basketball rim, looks really weird, uh, multiple branches like a tree. So that's going to be multiple hereditary exostoses. So hopefully if you just think in your head and maybe five minutes from now, if you if you think back to this story, uh, you will remember one or two or three of these. And I mean, we'll see how, how effective this is, but um, that's just one way to try to remember this. And uh, moving forth, uh, what are some of the structural protein deficits in these uh in these autosomal dominant disorders uh so the big ones you should know are uh marfans and ehlers-danlos so marfans is going to be that fibrillin uh gene um and you can also see like a tgf beta excess in these patients 
Ehlers-Danlos is going to be uh, that mutation in uh, COL5A1 or A2. And it's basically the, it's a gene for type 5 collagen. And uh, what type 5 collagen does is it's important for proper assembly of skin matrix uh, and basement uh, membrane uh, fibers. So um, that's, these are the patients where you're going to have that really uh, hyper elastic uh, skin and they're, they're going to be the ones that like stretch their neck out for their friends because it's a like a gag trick that they can do out at parties. Um, huh. And then uh, oh, yeah. OI is going to be the uh, collagen one. Um, we should all know this from day one of residency through the rest of our careers because uh, osteogenesis imperfecta is definitely still something that uh, affects kids. Uh, and then achondroplasia is that FGFR3 uh, protein. So Marfan's is fibrillin, Ehlers-Danlos is collagen 5A, OI is collagen 1, or type 1 collagen, and achondroplasia is that FGFR3. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you're going to go over again uh, another story uh, for these <laughs> autosomal recessive uh, conditions. We'll see, we'll see if uh, any of these stick. Um, but some of these autosomal recessive conditions, you have like dystrophic dysplasia, Hurler syndrome, San Filippo, and then Morchio's uh, syndrome. These are all autosomal recessive conditions. And of course, so we have another story to remember these by. So last time it was autosome and there, you know, it was a game, it was autosomal dominant. Now this, if you think of that, just think of uh, autosome, there's some kids playing outside at recess. So that's going to be autosomal recessive. Uh, so the story to remember this is we have this guy named Sam. He's sitting against a pole flipping a quarter. So Sam flipping a quarter, that's going to be San Filippo. Uh, meanwhile, um, a, just guy, uh, a giant mosquito bites her and she just throws up all of her lunch. So San Filippo is going to be Sam flipping the quarter. And you have a mosquito that bites her. Uh, that's supposed to be like for Morkio, you know, M-O-S, Morkio with SQs, you know, we'll see how that, <laughs> see how that sticks. Um, she, while she's doing this, she becomes diastrophically uh, displeased that she threw up uh, because she had ice cream for lunch and, uh, and that is her favorite uh, type of meal. So that's supposed to be diastrophic dysplasia. So again, San Filippo, uh, Morkio and, um, and diastrophic uh, dysplasia are some... Um, are going to be autosomal recessive again. This is all at, at recess. Um, moving forth, what are the gene deficits in some of these common autosomal recessive disorders? I just realized I didn't I didn't incorporate hurler syndrome in there. Oh, I did hurl. I, I put she hurls yeah. her lunch. Yeah, there we go. She hurls up her lunch. I said throw up, but she hurls up her lunch. That's supposed to be hurler syndrome. Um, so again, Sam flipping the quarter is Sam Flipo. Uh, mosquito bites her. She hurls up a lunch. That's going to be Morkio and hurlers. And then she becomes diastrophically displeased. That's supposed to be diastrophic dysplasia. And this is again, autosome recessive. Uh, now, so what are these, uh, what are the gene deficits in some of these common autosomal recessive disorders? Um, so these, these actually, they may come up. They'll give you a picture of what a, a patient is like with diastrophic dysplasia or her hurlers or something. And They'll ask you to identify the, the uh, gene defects or the, the proteins that are affected. And um, a lot of times these, uh, I, I heard once uh, long ago, and um, hopefully I'm not saying this wrong, but typically autosomal dominant disorders are 
defects in like structural protein. So like I talked about before, like the fibrillin and the collagen and uh, all of those are more kind of structural uh, proteins, but then uh, with autosomal recessive, they're more like functional protein uh, disorders. And so uh, like diastrophic dysplasia is going to be a sulfate transport protein. Hurler's is alpha uh, L I Iduronidase, um, San Filippo is heparin sulfamidase, and Morchio is a galactose sulfatase. Um, some of these are like the uh, lysosomal storage diseases that have um, orthopedic manifestations as a part of them. And so they're still important for us to know in terms of proper overall care for these patients and for test taking purposes. But in terms of overall treatment for them, that's likely going to be more of the uh, geneticists and the pediatricians. And um, we will take care of any uh, instabilities versus uh, bone abnormalities and malalignments and all that stuff that they end up developing as a result of their uh, disorders. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I'll, t- I'll give you this one as well. Some uh, excellent recessive <laughs> disorders. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So we did autosomal dominant. We did autosomal recessive. Now we'll do a couple excellent recessive disorders that they uh, love to test on. So hopefully, you know, these are just some easy questions if you can quickly remember something and recall it, but some of these excellent recessive disorders are going to be kind of that, that hunters mucopolysaccharidosis, um, hemophilia A and B, uh, Duchenne's, uh, plus Becker's muscle, uh, muscular dystrophy. And uh, of course, in uh, classic fashion, I have another story to remember this one. And so if you just think of an all-male recess, because again, all these uh, X-links are going to affect males, because uh, you know you have an X and Y chromosome, so even if it's S-link recessive, it's going to affect males. So all-male recess. So uh, just picture this. Uh, there's a kid in the bushes with a spear who's hunting another kid. Okay, that's going to be Hunter syndrome. Uh, he throws the spear at him. Uh, he barely hits him in the arm, just barely grazes him, but he starts just bleeding everywhere. So that's going to clue you in towards hemophilia A and B because they bleed a lot. Uh, his friend sees this, tries to get up to go to his rescue, but he's just taking a really long time to get up from sitting uh, because he has to use his hands to try to stand up. So he's, you know, that's supposed to clue you in towards like these muscular dystrophies like Duchenne's and Becker's because at least for Duchenne's, uh, you know, that's the classic, like they have to use their hands to help them get up because they just don't have that like muscle strength. So uh, bushes in the kid with the spear hunting, that's going to clue you in towards hunters. Um, he throws the spear, starts bleeding everywhere. That's going to be hemophilia A and B. And then his friend's trying to help, but, you know, he's just he's just taking a really long time because he has to get from his, uh, he has to use his hands to get him to stand up. So that's should clue you in towards these Duchenne's uh, or this Becker muscular dystrophy. This is an all-male recess, so excellent recessive. Um, I have at least this next one's a, a little bit easier. I think you can, you, you may be able to do this one. Uh, what are some excellent dominant resor- uh, disorders? So some of these excellent dominant ones, uh, the main one uh, you need to know uh, is hypophosphatemic rickets. Uh, there's also Larry Wheel uh, dyschondroosteosis which is mm-hmm. like a bilateral Madelung's deformity. So Larry Wheel, osteosis is bilateral Madelung's. And then the other main one is hypophosphatemic rickets. And um, basically 
phosphatemic rickets is a, yeah, a mutation in the X-linked uh, P-hex gene. Um, so you get increased uh, FGF23 and you get renal phosphate wasting. So that's why you have a hypophosphatemic state. And when you waste all of the phosphate that decreases your calcium stores and uh, you end up getting rickets. And a, a good uh, story to remember this is uh, at the father-daughter dance. Um, they are, uh, I don't know if I can do this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a racket. It's supposed to be like rickets. Uh, that's all I have. Uh, okay. so I couldn't yeah. think of much. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the hypophosphatemic rickets, you have a father-daughter dance. So it's uh, something that is excellent dominant, which um, can affect girls and uh they are uh playing tennis using tennis rackets or tennis rickets so it's hypophosphatemic rickets uh is the big excellent dominant one um so we are going to kind of go over some of these brief factoids next um that are uh good really for just seeing a question and answering it and moving on these are like the the factoids that um, can buy you some time on the other more challenging questions on the OIT and board. So what's the gene mutation with uh, osteogenesis imperfecta? Yes, that's going to be call 1A and then call uh, 1A2. And I don't know why it took me so long to, to make these connections, but the call 1 is just like collagen 1, like type 1 collagen, which is the thing that's messed up in osteogenesis imperfecta. So type 1 collagen is call 1A and then call 1A2. Um Next is, uh, what's the gen the gene mutation seen with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? And that's going to be call 5A1 and call 5A2, so type 5 collagen defects. And again, we went over that where it's uh, type 5 collagen is found mostly in the skin and basement membrane. Um, and then uh, what about Marfan's? So Marfan's, like we talked about a little bit earlier about fibrillin, but it's going to be that FBN1, which clear and towards fibrillin because those sound very similar uh, and it's gonna be associated with that superior lens dislocation of the eyes when you look at the eye you'll have superior lens dislocation that's good to know because there's another one that we'll touch on a little bit later where it's the dislocation of the lens is inferior uh, but what is it and we talked about this briefly but what is the gene mutation seen with achondroplasia uh, achondroplasia is going to be fgfr3 and i wouldn't be surprised if during some point in the five years during residency, um, they basically will just show you a picture of a patient with achondroplasia and they'll just list off the ones we're talking about. Call 1A1, FBN1, FGFR3, uh, and some of these other proteins. And you just have to decide which one is the mutation and that's FGFR3 for achondroplasia. And uh, the gene mutation seen with spinal muscular atrophy is what? So that's going to be SMN1, which is kind of stands for survival motor neuron one. If you think with SMA, you know, it makes sense. You know, the motor neurons are affected. So SMN1, which is survival motor neuron one. Uh, now, what is the gene mutation seen with spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia? And that one is called 2A1. So we have call 1A1, osteogenesis imperfecta. Call 2A1 is spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia. And call 5A1 is Ehlers-Danlos. Uh, those yeah. are good ones to remember. And then 
Uh, we actually just had a patient uh, with this condition in clinic today. Um, mm. But uh, what's the gene mutation in McCune-Albright syndrome? So that's going to be the GNAS gene. So GNAS gene uh, for McCune-Albright syndrome. And, and, and since you just had this patient in clinic today, what were some of the, I guess, those distinguishing features? I don't know if this patient had all of them, but what are some of those distinguishing features that you uh, see in McCune-Albright syndrome? Yeah, it was a patient where we got multiple uh, long bone x-rays and I'm going over it with uh, the residents in clinic and bones just look kind of funny. And I was like, so, so what does that all look like? And uh, they have polyostotic fibrous dysplasia. And we'll go over some of these different appearances uh, in the oncology section in terms of like the ground glass appearance of fibrous dysplasia. But so McCune-Albright is polyostotic fibrous dysplasia. Uh, this patient did not have shepherd's crook deformity of the hips, but that is a classic, classic, classic sign for McCune-Albright syndrome. Um, they did have uh, cafe au lait spots, and these spots are considered the coast of Maine uh, macules rather than the coast of California uh, seen in other conditions, um, and then uh, endocrinopathy. And so this patient had uh, essentially prophylactic nails of the uh, femur and tibia because both of those bones were affected. So polyostotic fibrous dysplasia, shepherd's crook deformity of the hips, and cafe au lait spots, which are the coast of Maine or the rough edge, irregular ones, and then endocrinopathies. Um, and then uh, what are some of the orthopedic issues seen in patients with trisomy 21? Yeah, so a big thing for this is going to be that atlantoaxial instability. When you, if you look at their C-spine, they can have um, atlantoaxial instability. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we do our spine talk. Um, but thing to know about that is, you know, no contact sports and patients that have this atlantoaxial instability. Um, patients with trisomy 21 can have hip instability, patellar instability. They can have pest plano valgus. They're going to be flat foot. Uh, and some of the non-orthopedic things that be going that can be going on with these patients with trisomy 21. They can have heart issues, you know, thyroid issues. So, um, you know, there are a lot of different things that, um, that these patients that have trisomy 21 have to deal with. So some of the orthopedic things, again, just to repeat, are going to be atlantoaxial instability, hip instability, patellar instability, and pest plano valgus. And then on the genetic side of it, there's going to be uh, something going on with the call six on chromosome 21. So type six collagen on chromosome 21. Again, this is trisomy 21. So it should be chromosome 21, but the call six. Um, so that is going to be uh, the gene in case that is asked. Now, what, uh, what orthopedic condition is associated with the deletion of the long arm of chromosome 13? Uh, so this would be, uh, obviously I see this a lot in clinic too, in orthopedic oncology, um, but that is uh, multiple myeloma, which is essentially a plasma cell proliferation uh, and numerous lytic lesions, which uh, can appear cold on bone scan. And uh, so multiple myeloma is a, a classic, uh, fairly uh, common condition, unfortunately, that um, does cause these uh, kind of light chain uh, spikes that's diagnosed with uh, usually urine or serum protein electrophoresis and 
um, you're doing a lot of either prophylactic or uh, other types of nails with radiation for these patients. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nails at Ortho podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you have not, follow us on social media at Nailed at Ortho and tell one colleague about our podcast. Just, just one. That would be super helpful. And until next time.